today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, we're moving from A to Z, which is kind of difficult to think about, right? We have an icon in A-series in the market, proven yield, strong agronomics, and here we are bringing something new. But I think, Delaney, what that signals to the market is that we're bringing even more. Hey, listeners, welcome back. Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. Ag News Daily Edition, Tanner and Delaney hanging out this morning. How you doing, Tanner? You ready for a big turkey day tomorrow? You going to wear your fat pants? My fat pants, yes. Uh, I think that would be strong advice for all of our listeners to make sure that you're comfortable and you get to enjoy the day. That's it. No response, huh? I couldn't get couldn't get you riled up on that one. No, all about it. Like I said, it's uh, it's one of those favorite meal times. Absolutely. Yes, it is for me as well as many others. I'm sure I'm not a big turkey person. I think usually it's dry. I prefer Christmas because you usually have ham or beef or something else. But aside from the turkey, I like it. Yeah, I think my plate is usually full of almost everything else. And then you throw just a little <laughs> bit of turkey on there uh-huh. yeah. to make sure it is Thanksgiving. <clears throat> well, some of our friends out in the West might actually have to deal with some snow. There's winter storm watches that have been issued on Thanksgiving for parts of Wyoming and western Nebraska. As much as six inches of snow is expected in eastern Wyoming and western Nebraska. Could be higher amounts in some local areas. Travel in those areas obviously would be very difficult. Dry conditions are still continuing to plague most of the rest of the northwest, especially Iowa. Still going to be a breezy day here in the state. The wind with low humidity and dry conditions is still a wildfire risk, Delaney. So snow out west, maybe it's headed our way. We'll see. Yeah, I think it might be. I saw some other forecasts that suggested as much, Tanner. So you might want to grab your winter coat setting into next week because the snow is headed this direction as of right now. That's right. Well, I wanted to give a quick update. Yesterday, I talked about peanut relations with the Japanese uh, ministry, which is good news because our friends in Texas had production that was higher than last year. Harvested peanut acres are up over 2022. Texas was one of the leaders. Their production still struggled a little bit on a per acre count, but 13 to 14,000 peanut acres were lost to dry conditions. But production was 107% higher than last year. Back-to-back seasons of drought continue to plague our Texas farmers. But as the AgriLife Extension Office said, their peanut specialist stated the crop that was under irrigation, even though drought, still hit above average yields per acre. Now, moisture demands will be something we'll have to look and pay attention to next year. Harvested acres in the whole U.S., 205,000 acres last year were up, the USDA reported that 107% higher production on acres meant that there is more than 677 million pounds of peanuts compared to 328 million pounds last year. Peanut yields this season were up over 500 pounds per acre. So that is glad, they're glad to see foreign relations continuing to strengthen because their production is higher than they've seen historically. You think that'll mean cheaper peanuts in the grocery store? Maybe it'll mean Texas Roadhouse will let you (laughs) still crack peanut shells on the floor again. See if they can bring that back. You are definitely ready for that response. I'm impressed. Absolutely. Tanner, how many turkeys do you think 
that the average or that the uh, that America eats on average during Thanksgiving break. Man, I thought I saw that yesterday. Is it like uh, eight hundred and or eight hundred and seven thousand or eighty seven thousand? No, you're way off. Around forty six <laughs> million turkeys will be consumed every Thanksgiving. So you will be just one of forty six million. Last fun <sighs> fact for you: Did you do you know how many turkeys? Do you want to guess how many turkey tur- uh, feathers a mature turkey has? Hundred and fifty. <laughs> You're way off again. Mature turkeys have thirty five hundred <laughs> feathers. I would not like to have that job of plucking off all the feathers. That is a good point. Tanner, that's uh, all I have for some fun news for you. But I do have some news here related to our U.S. waterways and barge shipments. We've seen recently a major infrastructure investment being made by the U.S. Soybean, or excuse me, United Soybean Board. USB has put in about $2 million for research to do dredging since farmers are greatly impacted by the lack of shipments going down the Mississippi River. Mike Steenhook said that the $2 million investment here could help deepen the lower Mississippi River from a minimum of 45 feet to 50 feet. And while that may not sound a lot, he said that the deeper depth allows another 500,000 bushels of beans to be loaded for export. You can put more on a freight when there is more depth uh, in the water. So he said that's actually a really big move for the United Soybean Board to make. But we also saw that the port of South Louisiana is the number one port for grain exports in volume. So there's been a big focus to make sure that that is starting to get some much needed infrastructure investments as it's a vital area for key grain flow to come through the Mississippi into the South port of Louisiana. It handles products from 31 different states, Tanner, and it's a quite a massive, massive port. It's been dealing with some historic drought, which certainly has kept things at lower levels than certainly anticipated or needed. Uh, about 55% of the nation's soybean crop comes out of the Mississippi Gulf region and 89% specifically from this port of Louisiana. And as I mentioned there, it's been seeing some really historic drought, which has certainly impacted the efficiency in the port area of South Louisiana. But Mike Steenhook, executive director of the U.S. Soy Transportation Council, says that exports are barely missing a beat, even with some of these historically low water levels. He said, we still saw about 55% of soybean exports leave from this area of the country, which is really a testimony to how profound this area is. So certainly could use a little bit of an upgrade or a facelift, but nonetheless, folks are still working diligently to get crops out of that port. There you go. We got an update on another carbon pipeline news. Wolf asked to withdraw their Illinois pipeline request to refile. They said in their motion to withdraw their application, it believes that the initial application was sufficient, but through the new application, it can address and moot most of the concerns. 
Wolf Carbon Solutions moved to withdraw their carbon dioxide pipeline permit application in Illinois on Monday. And they stated that this is a voluntary action and it does not impact the commitment to their project or to the stakeholders. They're including future conversations with the Iowa Utilities Board and the Army Corps of Engineers. Ferguson said that Wolf will apply again early next year with the Illinois Commerce Commission for permission to build its pipeline in about 90 miles in eastern Iowa, would connect the ethanol plants and transport their captured carbon dioxide into the Illinois underground sequestration point. It's unclear whether all potential affected landowners were notified during this proposal. There are agreements with ethanol plants that have not yet been finalized, but have letters of written uh, commitment. Wolf has not made the required applications to federal regulators yet, but that assumes to be happening when they refile. They also did not provide an emergency response plan if a pipeline ruptures. So all those are anticipated to be in this application when it comes after the first of the year. They're looking through the proposed CO2 Act to see if there is something that can be put into place and again, take care of any of those insufficiencies in their initial application process. So they're expecting to try to address Delaney most of their concerns when they look to refile in early 2024. Well, Tanner, heading into 2024, we've got some record numbers here for avian influenza or HPAI. As of the USDA's latest estimates to date, between 2022 and 2023, more than 63 million birds have been reported to be affected by high pathogen avian influenza. We thought we were out of the clear here as temperatures started to cool off, and typically that helps to reduce the amount of birds that are impacted by HPAI. But the USDA also said that in the month of November alone, about not quite 4 million birds have been infected and cold in the month of November. That certainly could be some of those 46 million turkeys as well, Tanner. But of course, signs to keep an eye on are lack of energy in the birds, decreased egg production, soft shells or misshapen eggs, swelling or purple discoloration of the head, eyelids, comb, and hawks, nasal discharge, coughing, and sneezing, which I think on a side note would be interesting to see a chicken sneeze or cough, and incoordination and, and diarrhea. So we're not out of the woods yet, so they ask farmers to remain diligent and make sure to pay attention because they don't want that to continue to spread here longer term. That's a good point. Also news coming out of the USDA, they're looking to partner with the SBA on rural development plans. The agency leaders have agreed on Monday to increase their investments in small and underserved rural communities. They're looking to provide billions of dollars in grants, loans, and loan guarantees for rural housing, business development, electricity, internet, water, and sewer projects. The Agriculture Deputy Secretary and SBA Administrator signed a memorandum of understanding that calls for agencies to all work together and cross-promote the programs to support rural businesses and socially disadvantaged communities. They're looking to create jobs that will provide strength to some of these communities, Delaney. But for my last little bit of headlines today, heading back over to the Gaza Strip, Israel's cabinet has approved a deal to release those hostages we've been talking about. This is slated to begin tomorrow morning. Obviously, Thanksgiving is not a holiday that is supported in their efforts. 
The agreement would release at least 50 hostages, mostly women and children, in a four-day truce, like we've been reporting. An additional 10 to 20 could be available for release as discussions continue to happen. 115 Palestine prisoners will be released from Israeli jails as part of this agreement. The Israelis also have a release list of another 300 that could ultimately be part of a wider agreement. Meanwhile, almost 1.7 million people have still been displaced from the Gaza area. Since October 7th, the UN agency is looking at monitoring the quality of buildings in that region, and up to 50% of them in northern Gaza have been damaged. So there's going to be a significant amount of rebuild that will need to happen. But that's what I've got for some quick headlines today, Delaney. I think that was my final story as well, was a quick update there on the Israel-Hamas ceasefire, temporary ceasefire. So with that, Tanner, let's turn it over to the markets here as we head into the final trading session ahead of Thanksgiving break. Markets will be closed for the overnight tonight, heading into tomorrow, and of course, closed tomorrow day and night, and will open once again for some very late holiday post-trade on Friday. Heading into that session, however, December corn is down three quarters of a cent at 4.69 and a quarter. January soybeans are down 15 and three quarters cents in the overnight at 13.61 and a half. December hard red winter wheat down, excuse me, up three and three quarters cents at 6.19 and a half. Chicago wheat in the December contract up three and a quarter at 5.58 and a quarter. And lastly, December spring wheat up three pennies on the board at 7.20 and a half. Taking a look at the livestock markets and where they closed yesterday, December live cattle shed 47 and a half cents. We'll open this morning at a buck 75. January feeder cattle down a dollar 52 and a half to close yesterday at 228.32 and a half. And December lean hawks shed $2.17 and a half cents. We'll open this morning at 68.17 and a half. Tanner, I'm really excited for this next conversation I grabbed at NAFB convention. It's very special, as I'm going to share here in just a second, but let's turn it over to my conversation with Liz Knutson, the U.S. Soybean Marketing Lead for Corteva slash Pioneer. I am so excited for this interview and listeners this is a disclaimer uh this this next conversation is near and dear to my heart but i am a spokesperson for this next product so i just wanted to make that disclaimer out there but it's been really fun catching up today with liz knudsen who is the u.s soybean marketing leader for corteva for point for corteva slash pioneer and liz i feel like i've had all this insider baseball knowledge for months now but you guys have officially launched a brand new soybean, the Z-Series. The Z-Series. Yeah, we're moving from A to Z, which is kind of difficult to think about, right? We have an icon in A-Series in the market, proven yield, strong agronomics, and here we are bringing something new. But I think, Delaney, what that signals to the market is that we're bringing even more. So what farmers can expect from Z-Series moving into 24, limited launch volumes, right? 2025 will be the big bang, um, but even more yields, even more enhanced agronomic and disease protection, as well as more exclusive genetics that farmers can see on their farms. It has been really fun from my perspective to get to know the Z-Series behind the scenes because we've started working on on some efforts here to publicize this since I think June is when we started to kick off things behind the scenes to get ready for the launch of Z-Series. 
You announced it to your dealer network just a few weeks ago. You're announcing it now officially to the media and beyond at NAFB's Trade Talk. But this is a really exciting time. This has been years in the making. Yeah, if you think back, uh, 2023 is actually a great year to launch something new like this. We're celebrating 50 years of soybean breeding at Pioneer. So we acquired Peterson Seed back in 1973, coming all the way to 2023. Again, we've had known commodities in the market, right? Our A-series soybeans have been proven. So a lot of folks are asking why. Why would you move from A to Z? And again, I think that signals that there's more coming, but realistically what this came down to is years of pent-up genetic gain. So as we made the transition from a one herbicide trait system to our Enlist E3 system, our breeders didn't just sit back waiting. They really focused on driving increased genetic gain during that time we were trading aggressing. So uh, years and years of work you know, has, has built up into this class. It's our largest advancement class with 51 varieties being advanced across the U.S. from double zeros all the way up to group fives and sixes. So lots of great options for U.S. soybean farmers to take a look at next year. Liz, how did you go from naming the A series? Now you've got the Z series. How was that name picked? Yeah, there's a lot of like background insider marketing stuff that goes into it, right? But I think what it really came down to for us was we were used to the the uh, letter nomenclature. So we knew that that would be something that resonated with farmers. We also talked about names or different things like that. But we were trying to signal this seismic shift in, in yield performance that folks will see with Z-Series, and we couldn't think of a better way to do that than saying A to Z. I'd hate to be the person that has to come up with the name for the next soybean product that launches in however many years from now. That will be truly um, unfortunate for them, but at the same time, I'm sure they'll come up with something just as creative that signals something new to the market as well. That's what it's all about. We want our farmers to be comfortable with what we're bringing, and so if we can give them a name that gives them some confidence, that'll be a good deal. Now, as you mentioned, when the Enlist series was launched, the breeders didn't just sit back and relax. I mean, maybe hopefully a little bit to celebrate that. (laughs) But they were already thinking ahead to the next series, which is now the Z series launching officially now. This has been eight, nine, ten years in the making. The breeders have put in a lot of work to get to where we are today. What was going on during that period? Yeah, so it's kind of like this perfect storm or the opposite of a storm since that seems pretty negative, right? Of all these pieces coming together, it was enhancements in genetics that we were bringing forward. It was new technologies that enabled those enhancements, so new ways we use drones. Um, I'll have tons more about this as we get into Commodity Classics, so I encourage your listeners to you know, kind of tune in at that point where you and I will have a conversation with a bunch of other folks about how did we get here. Our breeders love to tell this story. Um, they're really proud of what they've brought to market, and so more to come as we get into 2024. Liz, I'm going to push you a little bit. I know some of these answers, but I don't know what's publicly allowed to be to be said at this point. It was so hard to sit on this exciting development. I just wanted to you know, tell everyone how exciting this was because I really think it's going to move the genetic potential forward for the soybean industry. What can you tell us as of right now about the Z-Series and some of the genetic potential, agronomic potential that it has? Yeah, so we're using the term more all the time, right? Um, There's even more yield here. And define yield how you will, more yield, that's going to depend whether you're growing soybeans in Georgia or Minnesota, right? That looks different for everybody, but we continue to drive that yield farther. So those results will all get rolled up around commodity time. We're working through them still, right? We just advanced these new products 10 days ago. we got to understand geography by geography, what does that look like? But the other part that's really exciting to me is the agronomic trade advancement. So we score on a 
zero to 10 scale, right, or one to 10, and we're seeing significant improvements in things like white mold, phytophthora. Uh, go down your list of diseases and pests, and we're improving those scores even more than what we are already known for. Like, we have the offense and defense at Pioneer. This is bringing more of that to growers. I think the other exciting thing is this is going to be a series that's available to growers all over the United States because I think a lot of times products get rolled out with, you know, the Midwest in mind. But these have been tested nationwide for years, and you've seen this type of genetic gain, right, all across the board. It doesn't matter if you talk to a soybean breeder from Windfall, Indiana, or central Iowa, or uh, down in the south, they all are seeing and feeling this impact. You'll, I mean, you heard the conversations, right? They'd walk by a soybean plant and say, wow, I can see the difference in these. So that's the kind of things that we hope our farmer customers see next year. But as you mentioned, we're talking double zeros all the way down to six and seven RMs. That, that doesn't happen just anywhere, but we pride ourselves on having local breeders in research stations in, in our farmers' communities. That's what allows us to bring forward the answers to the challenges that they have because our breeders live right alongside them experiencing it too. So you mentioned it's going to be in limited capacity for 2024 through the dealer network. Uh, how are growers going to be able to get on that short list? So I'd be, if I, sorry, if it were me, I'd be calling my Pioneer sales rep today saying, how do I get this stuff? And realistically, around the first of the year, those, those reps will have the opportunity to position these new Z-Series varieties. So if you're hearing this today, I would definitely reach out to my rep. Um, even if you don't have a chance to experience it on your farm next year, we'll have plots all across the U.S. where reps and customers have a chance to walk through and see how does this variety emerge? Uh, how is it responding to a fungicide application? And what do the agronomics look like top to bottom? So whether you experience it in your field or just in a plot, 2025, you'll definitely have a chance to see Z-Series on your fields. Now, I know you mentioned you're still crunching the numbers. You're still getting all that stuff pulled together. But can you give us maybe any teaser as to the yield increases that this is seeing across some of the growers? I would love to, but I've been told we're waiting on Commodity Classic. So um, as I said, lots of things going in the background just in terms of how does this work east to west, north to south. So the cool thing about our 51 varieties is they have unique positioning within each of those geographies. So I won't tip my hand too much, but I can tell you it's more than A-series. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming to the market. Um, we have a set of criteria that said, hey, if we're bringing this thing into Z, that has to sh prove out on these couple of criteria. So just expect more coming from Z-series next year. That's right. That's the theme, more. Yes, definitely more. <laughs> so, Liz, as we think about uh, your role in all of this as the soybean marketing lead for the U.S., I, I bet you've had a fun time experiencing this. What has What's the marketing efforts going to look like to push this thing forward? The cool thing about marketing at Pioneer is that our best marketers are our local Pioneer sales reps. If they're bought into what we've got coming to the field, um, they have the trust of their farmer customers. So the marketing is really just the air cover support, right? But the fun part for us is figuring out how do we craft this research story? Because I don't think it's something a lot of folks talk about. Um, you know, you don't sit down and have a beer with a soybean breeder very often, but that's something we've decided is an important part of how we got Z-Series to market. So. Expect more things like that coming from us after the first of the year. And the big culmination for everyone will be at Commodity Classic, where you're going to be doing some big things. We're really excited for that, and we're pleased to have you join us. So we'll have you and Jerry back with us, Jerry Carroll, as well as some of our soybean breeders, both from Iowa and Illinois, talking about the work they did to bring Z-Series to market. So uh, if you're at Commodity in Houston, please do join us. And if not, we'll have an opportunity to listen into that conversation on Facebook Live as well.
Awesome. Well, Liz, thank you so much. I know we only gave a glimpse into the new Z series, but exciting things coming for growers in 2024. Thanks, Delaney. Glad to be with you. Well, there you go. An awesome conversation as promised. Listeners, have yourself a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back, but enjoy your families. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. Thank <laughs> you.